joy to be here this morning, guys, and greetings from Bay Vineyard Church. I've been um, sneakily checking out the live stream, which is a terrible thing to do when you're in the middle of worship at another church, but I've, it's that paranoid pastor wanting to check in to make sure that people turned up and that everything seems to be happening, so uh, that's good news it is. And uh, yeah, and as, as James said, we, um, I was in this, and you know, some of you guys may even know this genre, but there's a genre called new metal. And uh, I was in a new metal a Christian band, which is a real niche audience, to be fair, um, uh, in the 2000s. And, uh, and then um, there was a little kind of Christian kind of band thing happening yesterday in the hut called Winter Vibes. And the lads were playing. They did a one-off reunion show at this thing. So, um, so I was like, man, I'd love to see the lads again. And it was all, all the boys. Like, it was like the full band, you know. So, and they are. They, I know Mark was here for way back in the day and all that. And um, it was just such a fun night. And so then me and my mates had got together. And so we practiced all our songs. And again, had this one-off reunion show last night. But man, my legs, <laughs> my legs are so saw it. And it's not, it's not from moshing or anything. It was, so when you're in a new metal band, you've got to hold the guitar and you've got to do this. <laughs> so I haven't done squats like that for 15, 16 years. So like, I just woke up this morning, like, oh Lord have mercy, I'm, not, I'm too old for all this. And it was, it was like we'd jumped in a DeLorean and gone back to 2000 and something because the lads are playing and this new metal Christian band are playing. And anyway, we had a great time. So, uh, yeah, it is just, it's, so I did reach out to James and said, man, I'm in town. I'd love to hang out with you guys and, and share. And uh, I just want to share, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm really sorry that my brother and my sister-in-law are here because they're just going to hear me just bang the same drum they've heard me bang 100,000 times. I have one message, and this is it today. Um, <laughs> I just want to speak to what does it look like in this day and age to cultivate, to cultivate a deep interior life with Jesus? What does it look like for us to... I honestly think there's no more contested place in your life than, your secret, than the secret place with Jesus, than that life of prayer, the devotional habits, the quiet time. That space is the most contested place, I reckon, in the Christian life today. And so I want to just speak about what it looks like to cultivate and to contend for that space. Because ultimately, um, we don't do that to be a good Christian. The great news is that you can't do anything to, to make God love you more. I mean, the cross, the cross says it all. You're loved. And so I don't do these sort of spiritual disciplines in my life to be more loved by God. But I do them to position myself in places to receive the love of God. I do that to, to spend time with Jesus. And I, I've, I'm 42. I've grown up in, um, my dad's an Anglican vicar. We've grown up in the Christian scene. I've lived in the Christian world hardcore my whole life. Uh, and I've been in full-time ministry now for 20 years. So like, man, trust me. I know the scene well. <laughs> uh, and after all of that, because you see a lot of rubbish in 20 years of full-time ministry, and anything the church can throw at you, I've, I've had thrown at me. Uh, I know all the stuff. But I tell you what, after all of it, I love the church more than ever. And it's because I love Jesus more than ever. And it's like you go through life and you go through all the sorts of ups and downs and you, you get into career and kids and that whole sort of thing. And it's like, ultimately, I get where the disciples are at when they say to Jesus, like, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. I mean, there's just nowhere else I have found life other than in Jesus. And so the, the older I get, the more I love that place. 
where I just love being close to Him. Do you guys remember, it went, it went viral. It was one of the sort of early viral things back in the day in the Christian scene where this guy, SM Lockridge, did this, um, this kind of mini sermon that kind of went viral called My King. Does anyone remember that? Hands up if you remember that. If you don't, that's good. Anyway, Google it after the service, not now, please. Um, <laughs> though if you get bored, feel free. because So SM Lockridge is an African-American preacher. He gets up. And, and the story is that he just shot from the hip, as those guys can do. And he starts banging on about Jesus and how awesome Jesus is. But he does it in a way that African-American preachers. I, I mean, honestly, I'm like, Jesus, why did you not create me to be an African-American? There's some African-American preacher deep inside me. There's longing to get out. But anyway, so he gets up and he, and he just does this whole riff around miking, like who, who Jesus is for him. And then he just, he, listen, here's, here's a few bits and bobs. The sermon goes for all of 10 or 11 minutes, but it's just so profound. And it just goes like this. He's the miracle of the age. He's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathises and He saves. He guards and He guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feebles. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the age. He rewards the diligence. And He beautifies the meek. And He goes on and on. And then He's like, oh, I wish I could describe Him to you. And I'm like... You're doing a pretty good job, bro. Like, keep it up. He's like, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him out of your hands. You can't outlive him. You can't live without him. Well, I wish I could. <laughs> it's just all time. And I love those sort of moments because, uh, because it's like, and again, we come into these sort of environments. So I need clarity about the beauty of God revealed in Jesus. I like you come to the space and we worship and we sense Him near us, and it's like the fog dissipates. I'm like, you are so wonderful. You're so worthy. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. But if there's one thing, like the role of the pastor is to get our pom poms out and say, let's. How can we help you? Encourage you get close to Jesus, and how can we help? You stay there, close to Him. Particularly because, as I said, it's the most contested space is that private life with Jesus outside of the gathered environment. And particularly since 2007, when this little thing got introduced into the world. Right, if C.S. Lewis was rewriting the screw tape letters, a great story between a junior devil and a chief devil, and the chief devil's discipling the junior devil about how to mess Christians' lives up, without a doubt, C.S. Lewis would put in a chapter about distraction, and about how, you know, the devil will be, the, the, the senior devil will be like, we've got to introduce something to distract them. And junior devil, what should we do? Well, I don't know, how about we stick the, th- the phone in the recipe? So 2007, they stick the phone in the recipe. And, and uh, as Ronald Rollheiser, a phenomenal Catholic theologian, says, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's, we live in a, an attention economy. There's no more contested place in the private world with Jesus, than the secret place. So what I want to talk about uh, this morning is the centrality, why prayer is so central for the life of the Christian, how we can pray, some very nuts and bolts stuff, and the fruit of a praying life. So let's dive into that. So if we look at the life of Jesus, we capture how central prayer is for Jesus, <laughs> right? For Jesus, it was, it was central to his life. Like, please do this at some point. 
Go through the book of Luke and the book of Acts and just jot down where you see Jesus praying and what's going on around that. Jesus is constantly withdrawing to the lonely place to pray. Have we got, oh, is this, have I got the clicker? Oh, that's awesome. Sorry, I was just um, presuming something would happen. Hey, hey, yeah, this is awesome. Okay, centrality of prayer. So here we go. Look at this. So in the morning goes up, blah, blah, blah. You'll notice Jesus, Jesus before any major decision moment is praying, out of ministry moments he's praying, uh, during times of grief he's withdrawing to pray. It's central. And interestingly, in the book of Acts, most theologians or commentators will say the book of Acts is actually a commentary between prayer meetings. How interesting is that? So again, go through the book of Acts and just start at some point in your own, you know, Bible study. Uh, and just look at how often the early church is praying. Now, why is the early church praying? And remember, Luke Acts are written by Luke. It's because the early church, church saw how important prayer was to Jesus and so made that part of their culture. And so um, I've just picked up this new role uh, recently uh, working with the 24-7 prayer organisation, and which I'm really excited about because... Uh, I, I want to cheer on the church to, 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 to again for that contested place of corporate prayer to say if in the early church stuff was happening because the church was getting on their knees, how much more so in this day and age do we need to get on our knees and prioritise that corporate prayer? And so in the book of Acts, is the, there's a prayer, it's a commentary between prayer meetings because in the life of Jesus, it's a commentary between a life of prayer with His heavenly Father. And so you can see this uh, in the early church. And again, I love this in Acts 2.42. Like, they do devoted themselves, devoted is a massively important word. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Uh, they were constantly in prayers. And then later in the epistles, you can see, again, there's just so many scriptures here. We could go on and on. The scriptures are dripping with the centrality of a life of prayer, of communion with God. Otherwise, what have we got? Like methodology and programs and snazzy services. Honestly, after 20 years of full-time ministry, I'm wary of it. What I want is presence. Nothing wrong with the programs, nothing wrong with our gatherings, but what we do all that for is to be a kitty that holds his presence. And, and God comes where he's wanted and we say X marks the spot by getting on our knees and saying, Lord, we want you. We want you and we need you. We need your presence more than anything in our lives. But so often I think prayer is in that we should. <laughs> that we, it's in the should category. Yeah, I should be praying. I mean, again, I'm not here to dish out condemnation burgers this morning and make anyone feel stink about their lack of prayer life. Trust me, it's a struggle for me and I'm Flipping, I'm involved with a prayer movement now. So imagine that, imagine that in terms of uh, vibes. Um, uh, but listen to this. Tom Wright, I love this, says this. He says, oh, next slide. Most people pray. I'm going to do this. Most people pray at least sometimes. Some people in many very different religious traditions pray a great deal. At its lowest, prayer is shouting into a void on the one-off chance there may be someone out there listening. At its highest, I love this, prayer merges into love as the presence of God becomes so real that we pass beyond words and into a sense of His reality, generosity, delight, and grace. For most Christians, most of the time, it takes place somewhere between those two extremes. And to be frank, for many people, it's not just a mystery, but a puzzle. They know they ought to do it, but they aren't quite sure how. So I spent most of my 20s uh, in ministry <laughs> going, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I've grown up in a 
charismatic evangelical culture that does meetings well but hasn't done discipleship too well in terms of the secret place. And particularly when this got introduced, again, just a whole other level of distraction. So I, I've been on this journey, particularly in my 20s and early 30s, was like, I need to learn how to pray because I, I actually don't know how to do that. The best I've got is I put on worship music and maybe shooting under Kuri under for a bit. That's like the only thing, I, you know, and, 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 and I'll shoot from the hip a bit with some prayers. But here's the danger in shooting from the hip all the time is that angry people pray angry prayers, fearful people pray fearful prayers, jealous people pray jealous prayers, and greedy people pray greedy prayers, and anxious people say anxious prayers, and on we go. Surely I can do better than that. So I had to learn how to pray. So uh, how, how do we pray? Well, here's a couple of things that I've learned. It's interesting that when the disciples come to Jesus in Luke 11, like the disciples are growing up in a, in a culture where prayer was a big part of it. Like it was part of the national culture. Like you grew up in, a, in a, just a world that was praying. And yet when they saw Jesus pray, they were like, man, this guy's praying in a way that's so much deeper than we've seen. And so they come up to him and they're like, teach us how to pray. Uh, just as John taught his disciples. Um, and so Jesus said to them, and that's uh, in Luke 11, verse 1. In verse 2, he says, So just pray what comes into your heart and let the Spirit lead. Shoot from the hip, guys. It'll be awesome. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus gave them a structure, a framework to pray, which we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, this is just one example of uh, ways that we can help shape our prayer life, but Jesus was very intentional about giving them some structure. Now, I grew up in the Anglican church. When it comes to set prayers and liturgy, I was like, no, Lord. You know, I was like, I've grown up in the thing and I'm like, liturgy's dead. I'm here to shake and bake with the best of them. Give me like some vineyard worship and let's go. And as I've matured, <laughs> I've realised that that is stupid. Because liturgy cannot be dead or alive. It's literally an impossible category for liturgy to be in. Set prayers and liturgy can only be true or false. That is the category that you can put set prayers into. It's either true or it's not true. Now, whether the person praying them is dead or alive, that's a whole different, whole different proposition. But what happened is that Jesus gave them a set prayer to help shape their prayer life. Because when He gave them this prayer, it was a trellis, it was a framework. While you can say it by rote, and I do that most days, it's actually designed to be riffed off. And so He gave us this prayer that helps move us beyond just ourselves to praying in a way that gives us a whole lot of life and structure. Our Father in heaven, our that's beautiful. Not just my father, our father. I'm part of this whole community. In fact, I'm part of a billion people worldwide that profess that Jesus is Lord. That's unreal. You're our father. Abba, father. Man, that's unreal. Lord, help me know you in that way. We've all got father wounds and mother wounds and all this stuff, but I want to know your character and your way. Like, I want to be loved by you in that sort of way. In that heavenly dimension, Lord, you're, you know, hallowed be your name. We worship you. You're wor blah, blah, blah. Right? So there's this whole framework here. And again, this is from a brilliant book called Jesus Revolution, John Smith here, that gives us some sort of framework outside of this. Interestingly, in, in Acts chapter 2, when it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and to prayer, the, uh, the more accurate translation, which you will find in the NRSV, is the prayers, not prayer. So again, if, 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 if I say devote yourself to prayer, the theologian is like, okay, I'll do my best. You know, I'll, I'll give it a nudge. It's a very different thing to say, devote yourself to the prayers. The next logical question is, what are the prayers? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
we've got a, we've got a whole whole uh, book of prayers in the Bible called the Psalms that the early church would use, and throughout history. Uh, the church has the wisdom to write prayers that are wiser than anything I could write, more beautiful than anything I could write, that are dripping with truth and beauty and wonder that help shape my prayer life. And so when I started to get my head around this, my prayer life began to change because I no longer had to rely on my best prayers. I could rely on the best prayers of the history of the church. And so for, let me just give you one example. Here's a prayer I pray most weeks at some point. I've got a whole bunch that I use on different things. But again, just coming into the secret place is no longer like I'm like, oh, I've just got to pray on my own. I've got some structure around it and it's brought so much life. And one of the areas that I try and lean into a whole lot is gratitude because we are trained in a world to, uh, by advertising to be dissatisfied, to be discontent. You will swim in between five and 10,000 advertisements today that is going to form you. It's a formation culture that we swim in that'll breed discontent in you. And so, and again, I've got some depression in our family line and all the rest of it. So I'm like, gratitude, give thanks continually, which is the standing orders of the church in 1 Thessalonians. Like it's, it's the standing order of the church to, to give thanks. That is something I need to not just uh, think about, but apply to my life. And I've done that. It's been a great antidepressant. And so I pray uh, this prayer, which I think is so beautiful, called a prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and your loving kindness. Immediately, straight out of the gates, I'm like, that's good. That's real good. We bless you for our creation and preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all for the immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. For the means of grace, these things that help form and shape me, and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but our lives. And it goes on. I mean, I'm praying that. And I'm telling you now, like I'm not praying that just blah, 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 blah. There's something in me that's getting stirred up as I pray a prayer that's better than anything I could pray from shooting from the hip. So again, I think we can, we, can, we can pray these prayers. I pray these prayers to resist the hyper-individualization and privatization of the Christian life. I'm part of a whole tradition of, of, of church history that I get to participate in. And so uh, there's something for me that I've discovered in terms of my private prayer life where set prayers have just helped me go deeper with Him to pray prayers that help shape and form me rather than... And now, do I pray in tongues? Yes. Do I pray for my family? I've got a whole list of the things I pray, blah, blah, blah. But I, I structure my private life with Jesus around this stuff and it's given an enormous depth and life to me in that space. I don't know what I've got next. So here's just a... Um, here's a really pragmatically... This is literally... I'm, I'm telling how to suck eggs. But I'm like, here's... here's Here's the thing. John Tyson says this. Consistency trumps intensity. Consistency trumps intensity. So here's the simple reality, which you guys may be a, a unicorn church that doesn't have this problem, but I can tell you now, most churches in the Western world, under 45-year-olds have almost no interior life with Jesus. Just the simple, cold, hard facts. And, and most of those that are a bit older than that have normally stagnated a little bit. So I'm like, Let's, every year we should be going deeper, right? <laughs> every year we should be more orientated around Jesus and more radical and more passionate and, and yielding more of our lives to Him, right? So I'm like, again, pom-poms are out, let's go. But, uh, but in terms of real pragmatic, I'm like, 
This is, I think this is just a great 10 minutes. I know you've got no time, which is not true. You just don't prioritise your time. It's different, but whatever you say, you think you've got no time. Everyone's got 10 minutes. Just check your phone and your usage around how much you're on Insta and just cull some of that. You've got 10 minutes. So this is my little thing I can, to get going, I, I used to do this, like, I'll put a timer on, two minutes. And on that two minutes, I'm going to try and just be still and be present to God. Breathe in deeply, be aware of His presence. Now, my mind, because I'm used to being distracted, is going to go like a squirrel everywhere. That little monkey's going to be banging that little gongs as hard as he can and all the rest of it. And as one of the great monks way back in the day said, every time we choose, our mind wanders from God and we choose to come back to Him, that's a thousand choices that we've made for God. We keep choosing Him, we keep choosing Him, we keep choosing Him. And it gets easier where you can be still and be present to Him. Isn't it sad? Like, I just think God's waiting for us. It's not that, like, we're like, where are you, God? It's like, he's like, well, where are you, mate? <laughs> you know, you're being, your mind's everywhere, you know? I just, I want a pure, this is the, for the most pure moments for me where I'm not singing anything, even praying anything, thinking about, I'm just, I'm, I'm with God. I'm just with Jesus in my room. I just think it's so pure. So I sit there and I just try and be present to him, but I have a timer, which feels like forever. My, is it broken? No, one minute, 20, 10. Okay, let's be present to God. Two minutes just to be still and present with him. And then some prayers, and you can, you can uh, four minutes there. And then I'll often journal a couple of things, either a prayer or something that I'm grateful for. And then just again to finish with a couple of minutes being silent before the Lord. And by the time I finish that, I just feel like my soul's had a shower. I feel like I feel just at peace, even through all the tricky stuff. It's just a refuge. And then, as you, then honestly, you get addicted to it. You get addicted to it, and it's like, oh man. And then you start going deeper, and it gets a bit longer. And and here's the thing: uh, I think we're actually at the point. Um, I actually think we're at the point when it comes to distraction that we've got to get to Alcoholics Anonymous levels of accountability around our secret life, our private life with Jesus. And we've done this now in our church for the last five years. I recognise for our, our, our Gen Y and younger, it was like, I can do all the teaching, we can have all the small group resources, we can talk about it all day long, but at the end of the day, living this is a monster challenge in a world that's got a billion dollar principality and power trying to distract you all the time. And so we actually said to our guys, how about we just get together once a week and just gently hold each other accountable about our, our, our private world with Jesus. And I can tell you the change in our guys' lives, I just can't overstate it. We have seen nominal board you know, especially men in our church, just move from a place of just total cynicism and detachment to being radical lovers of Jesus. Mike Moriarty, one of my great friends, he turned up the first week in our accountability thing. We go around and he's huffing and puffing. I don't even got the time. He's a deputy principal at the school. He's got a young family. His pressure's everywhere on his time. He's like, I'm going to pull over on the way home from work for a couple of minutes and just, and just try and do a Lectio 365 thing or whatever, you know? I'm like, good on you. That's, we're, not, we're not prescriptive around what it looks like. Just as the Spirit leads, tell us what the next step is in your spiritual journey that's always accountable. Fast forward five years, Mike Moriarty gets up at 5.30 every morning for an hour with Jesus. He loves it. It's the high point of his day. He's, he's on fire for Jesus and he's consistent. 
He's consistent. And so uh, we've got to resist the hyper. This is what's happened, is that we've had our private life with Jesus and our community with faith, but we have had very little crossover in terms of the conversation about our private life with Jesus, with our community of faith. And I think we've got to get, well, we've got to, um, we've got to come to this place where we have a Venn diagram moment of like, who is it that you're regularly talking? If, if you're consistent and Jimmy Jesus and you're a monk and you're going up the mountain every other day, then God bless you, fine, you don't need this. For the rest of us, us, I think we've got to have someone that we're having a conversation with on the regular about how our private, it's the most contested space in our lives. And honestly, this whole world is forming us and distracting us into oblivion. This culture here has to be a counterculture that is stronger than the, than the formation culture out there. And so we've gone to this level of like, we're at AA levels of accountability on the secret place. And I can't even tell you the missional spillover in terms of like what this has done for normal everyday people who are now doing mental things for the kingdom of God on the regular, birthed out of the secret place. It turns out John 15 is true. When you abide and remain in Him, you will bear much fruit. We'll tick that in the, uh, in the minute. The fascinating thing is that the Association of Research and Talent Development back in the day did some research about how do people change. And it, it was really interesting because you would have seen all this stuff. It's like, again, friends, when Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, like his big riff, he, he, he bookmarks the Sermon on the Mount on this actually, but his closing parable is the story about building a house on the rock, right? Everyone knows it. Went to Sunday school, you heard that story. But what's the point of that parable? It's this, that you can hear all you want, but hearing does not transform your life. It's the application that transforms your life. Put it into practice and you will build your house on the rock. And so how do I put this into practice? Well, you know, I was like, you've got to tell someone. Or to, it turns out all those things, you're still going to struggle. And again, AA and Weight Watchers, and they all work because 95% chance you'll actually hit that goal if you have a regular accountability meeting about it. So we've structured our whole church around this. We have upper clicks, which are what our, our, then we have huddles, which are like twos or threes that have messenger things or teleconferences or whatever. Like let's have a conversation every week around our private life with Jesus and where we're invited to grow. We're not, we're not, again, we're not prescriptive. We're not telling you what you should do. The Spirit of God is always inviting you to go deeper with Him. Just have a chat with someone on the regular around that, what that can look like. So here's the, we come into land with this. Here's the fruit of, uh, the trend, of, the, of the praying life. And guys, it's okay if you struggle with this, by the way. Everyone does. But here's the thing. God can't transform the person you're pretending to be. God can't transform the person you're pretending to be. So let's get honest about our, our need to, to contend for this place. And, but here's, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Here's the fruit of the praying life. And Jesus uh, says this in John 15, very, very, you know, you bear much fruit. But here's the big thing. I was like, so what is that fruit? Now, there is missional fruit without a doubt. But what's in Jesus' imagination when he says this? <coughs> Sorry, he unpacks this throughout John 15. In John 15 verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So, so as we commune with God, we get caught up in the triune love of God. Uh, verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may, may be complete. Verse 3, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Here's the thing, friends, this is epic. Everyone wants their soul to flourish. 
No one's here going, oh, I just want a bit more depression and anxiety. That'd be real awesome. Oh, I really love feeling lethargic and cynical and blah, blah, blah. It's like no one wants that. If, and this is where advertisements, all of it taps into this desire that every human has that their soul would be filled with love, joy, and peace. But where is it found? In the presence of the source. It's with Jesus. This is stunning. But so, so stop and just consider that we've got to get this in our imagination so that it is the telos of our lives, the goal of our lives. Can you stop and imagine for a second what it would feel like if you and your soul and your mind and your being felt as a predominant experience, not the fleeting rare exception, love, joy, and peace? Like that just increasingly, that was just how you felt. Oh man, it's unreal. I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. So uh, I'm, I'm going to use a different story. This is a beautiful story, but I'm going to tell another one. Oh, now I'm going to tell this one. <laughs> I was going to change the slide, but I ran out of time. Okay, I'll tell this one. Um, no, we don't, we, I'm aware of time. I don't want to. Uh, um, I'm like, what does it look like just to swim in God's love? Like, I've got this guy that, again, he's not a friend. He's a guy I know, um, and I've lost touch with him, to be really honest. Uh, he's in the States. But anyway, back in the day, um, he, he had some friends that were adopting some kids uh, um, and, uh, in Africa. And as they turn up to this orphanage in Africa, um, they, uh, they basically get in, in, they just start living in the rhythms of the orphanage, which included an afternoon nap time. And so they're adopting these two twins, Billy and Becky. So they, they start, uh, these kids start living with them in the guest house. Um, and there's new mum and dad. This is a huge thing for these kids. And, um, and so they go for the kind of afternoon nap time after a couple of days of hanging out. And on one of these afternoon naps, Becky just falls asleep real quick. But Billy, they could tell, was sort of awake and wasn't really sleeping. And so the dad, the new dad was like, which is a bit random, and it's really early days, but he's like, hey, mate, do you want to come over and, um, and see if you can sleep you know, on the bed with me? And so he, he jumps into bed and immediately falls asleep. And this is the photo, which is so beautiful. And my mate wrote this. He said, we all rest more easily in the loving embrace of a father we barely know who seems to be accepting us and loving us in ways we can't comprehend. But we feel the heartbeat. We feel the warmth. We feel the arms of acceptance on our backs, and we can rest. Mate, this is God's heart for you. This is God's heart for you. And we can come into this place with all of our insecurities and all our brokenness and all that we are, and we can feel his arms around us, loving us, accepting us, speaking words of life into us. I love being in that place. I need that place. You know, I've, I've had lots of broken stuff in my life. I had a pornography problem in my 20s and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know what's, what's healed me? Isn't, like I've done stacks of counselling, and it's super helpful. I'm a fan of that stuff. I think it's super important. But I'm like, ultimately, I've been loved into holiness. I've been loved into healing. I've been loved into righteousness. Like, God has just loved me. And so I'm like, I don't, I don't have a secret life of Jesus and a private world of Jesus and all the rest of it. Um, you know, to, to try and do anything else, but just to, to, even when I'm messed up, to be like, I need you, Jesus. I need you to love me and heal me and accept me. And so I, I think the, the secret place is that place of refuge and healing. Secondly, it's a place of joy. I love that uh, joy is the um, serious business of heaven. This is a photo of our uh, wedding banquet. Uh, Matthew 22, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a, a wedding banquet. Uh, I love that the second, you know, cab out of the ranks is joy, love, joy, and peace. I'm like, whose soul doesn't want a lot more joy? <laughs> 
you know, I just think, what an amazing thing. And how do we find it? And his presence is the fullness of joy. It's that deep sense of, uh, I, I was, um, I'm a fan of Hamish and Andy, you know, and I was here into them, and I listen to their podcast a lot as a spiritual discipline. Uh, because uh, I was driving years ago now between, um, between intense church meetings. And trust me, that's our life. It's super intense meeting, super intense church meeting. Um, and and so I put on Hamish and Andy, and I felt like, you know, that little bit, you know, I felt like, oh, I should probably be listening to Hillsong or Tim Keller or something. Like, it's not a very Christian thing to do, but I'm just so over Christian intensity right now. I just need to listen to Hamish and Andy and have a giggle. So I'm like, let's have a giggle on this drive to the next meeting. And I had this, as clear as I ever hear God, I heard him say, I love that you're listening to this right now. And I want you to put, you need to put your soul into places that cultivate joy, and you need to linger in those places as much as you can. And I'm like, what a word from God. I'm like, you, you need to watch Mr. Bean. You know, I was like, that was effectively what he said. You know, and it was like, as a spiritual discipline to, to, to cultivate a, a heart of joy in the midst of all of the pain and disappointment and reality of life, is that there's something about, and, and, and especially with the sacramental worldview of going, this isn't a, a bunch of non-Christian guys having a giggle. This is people made in the image of God helping me have a giggle while I enjoy the presence of God in the car. I mean, this is, again, we've got to just bust out that secular and sacred kind of thing. And it's like, all of a sudden, I was like, man, God loves that I'm laughing right now and He wants me to just lean in. So again, these devotional practices help cultivate a heart that can be filled with joy, even through the bitter disappointments that life is going to dish out. And lastly, peace. I'm like, man, what a stock image there, but whatever. Um, (laughs) That peace is in Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, what by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, I just know this is true because there have been so many stressful moments in the last 20 years and particularly in the last five or six as I've gone bananas seeking God where I've just been able to just walk into this portal of peace in the midst of highly complex situations. I mean, sometimes God does a miracle, but I reckon the true miracle is that we get through things that others would fall under the weight of as we press in with Jesus. The miracle is not the avoidance of the problem. I mean, Jesus could not be more clear in this world. You'll have many problems. No, Jesus was wrong. We've got a spirit of faith. It's no, Jesus was right. You've got bad theology. Like, we live in a broken, fallen world. But the miracle is that you have power and peace in the midst of it. Not that you get some sort of special category where you avoid it all. And so we acknowledge our reality. That's good mental health. Acknowledging my reality, this is my body, this is my marriage, this is my job, this is where I'm good at, blah, blah, blah. The rea- I don't deny it, but in the middle of it, I can have supernatural peace as I press into the presence of the source of it all. So here's, this is the last, here's my last thing. So that's me in the middle there. Uh, you know where they had those... Um, <laughs> They had those age apps, you know, that was a while ago, so like you can actually make yourself look older. So that's a really flattering picture of me uh, in about 20 or 30 years. Um, and then on the left here, you've got some happy-looking old people, on the right, you've got some grumpy-looking old people. Um, but here's the reality, is that you are being formed into somebody. You are in, on a trajectory to be in one of those two camps. Are you going to be a fruity old person? filled with love, joy, and peace, and all the fruit of the Spirit, or are you going to be an angry, bitter, relationally detached person? Trust me, we've met both camps, and you are being formed. And so my thing is, start practicing now to be on the left-hand side of the ledger. 
And how do you do that? By contending for the secret place. It's found there. That's, where it, that's why it's so contested. It's because it is the most important moment of your day. We love the idea of having a deep relationship with Jesus, but the idea demands nothing of us. It's when we actually do it. It's when we get up and it's in a cold house and you will wake up tired and you trudge to the kitchen to get coffee because without that you will not sense anything of His transcendent glory and presence. (laughs) But it's like when you, and then you go to your office and you, whatever, your, your, your lounge, and it's, it's, that's when it counts. Like that moment is more important than any other moment in your day. You win the day when you are in that space with Jesus. And if you keep winning those days, you start winning weeks and you start winning months and you start winning years and you start getting transformed from glory to glory to become like the person you're hanging out with. You become like your friends. And I want to stay close to Jesus. I want to become more like Him. So as we come into land this morning, uh, I just want to give you a very simple challenge, and it's this, to devote yourself afresh to contend for the secret place. When you go to the secret place, Jesus said, your Father in heaven is there waiting for you. Like that is it's that secret place, it's contested. But I don't care whether you've been in a Christian for two minutes or for 200 years. I'm like, let's this morning afresh say, I am going to press in to the secret place. I'm going to cultivate a deep life with Jesus. And for many of us, it will mean some sort of accountability in our lives, if we're really honest. Like we actually need to be held. I, I've got this. I've got accountability on Monday and on Thursday, and then I've got once a month. You know, I've got so much accountability in my life because I'm such a mess. But I tell you what, it doesn't happen overnight, as Rachel Hunter said. <laughs> but it will happen. We have got to get the talos in our souls that I am going to be a person filled with love, joy, and peace. It's annoyingly slow, but it happens. But it happens. And it happens when we prioritise the way of Jesus, to be with Him and become like Him and to do what He did. And I know you guys are in a series exploring that stuff. But the most important space is to be with Jesus. If I'm a disciple, I'm going to spend lots of time with Him. And out of that flows the, the, the flourishing life where the fruit comes in ministry, but most importantly in our souls. Let's stand together. Lord God, we invite you just now by your Spirit just to come. Thank you that that your Spirit stirs up hunger within us. We love you because you first loved us. And so we ask by your Spirit that you would fill us with just a love for you by your Spirit afresh this morning. Come Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we're just so aware that, uh, that we live in a world that is forming us. Our, it's forming our priorities. It's forming our worldview. It's forming how we use our time. But Lord God, this morning as we come into this place of clarity afresh, Lord, we want to say you are our priority. And Lord, help us to be people that don't just think about orientating our lives around you, but our diaries reflect a life that loves you and is devoted to you. So Holy Spirit, just come and fill us with a passion for you. Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. And Lord, if we, Lord, if we don't believe that yet, where our life reflects a, a, a question mark over that, I pray afresh this morning that there would be a sense of just yielding ourselves to you, acknowledging that we've tried so many other things, but only you, Jesus, satisfy. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. But Lord, help us. Lord, help us to, to stay close to you. 
Help us, Lord God, to to, uh, live lives of devotion to you. Lord, help us to, to live lives that clearly reflect that you are the priority of our lives. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would cultivate the soil of our hearts, that as we hear your invitation to pray, Lord, that we would hold to it tightly and by persevering a prayer, uh, persevering in prayer, Lord God, that we would produce a crop, Lord, very much fruit for your glory, that would be people that live radically for your kingdom, but Lord, also that we would just uh, live lives that flourish in you, that love, joy, and peace would uh, would just would mark our lives increasingly. So Lord, help us to seek you first more and more with every passing day. As Augustine said, Lord, put salt in our lips that we would thirst for you. We're hungry for more of you. Uh, this morning, I just want to invite the, the uh, I want to invite you to come forward and respond. Uh, and uh, this is the the reason we do. There's nothing magical about coming up the front, but here's the here's the reason I've got very passionate about these moments of response. It's because we live in a proud culture. And there's something about coming up the front that embodies a, a humble desire for more of God that, is, that breaks something of the spirit of our age. Uh, there is a sense where we need to move beyond just um, resonance because resonance does not, not lead, resonance is not obedience. And so there's something about sort of saying, yes, Lord, that's me. I want to, to press into you. I want to lean in more, Lord. I, want, I, I just am aware that this has got wobbly in my life. But Lord, this morning, I want more of you. So if that's you this morning and you just are like, yes, I, uh, it's a struggle. But Lord, I say yes to you again this morning. I say yes to the invitation to, to seek you in that place. Why don't you come forward now just as a reflection of that? And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill you with passion fresh strength, fresh desire. And even as you come forward, just let that hunger for God just begin to really uh, to, to well up within you as a response this morning of that. Just like, Lord, you, we want you, Lord. And just open your arms to the Lord. Uh, again, your body language of just receiving from Him. It's a gift. And Lord, just, and, and just feel free. If, uh, again, if you're just wrestling with that, um, the train stops at every station. You can come on, jump on board whenever you want. Uh, But Lord, just by your Spirit now, just as we respond, we just ask, Lord God, uh, Lord, just for your Spirit to come and fill us with a fresh passion for you. Oh, Lord, the world dulls our passion for you, but your Spirit brings life. As you call me